Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for listening. Rest in peace, Bob Saget. It's hard to lose those constants in your life, and he was one of those people I've seen all my life, and he always put a smile on my face, so wish I could have met him, but I'm sending love to his family and friends. A show of thanks to previous guest Xavier Padin. Yesterday, he texted me that he wanted to donate to the podcast to support it. He was saying, hey, how can I do that? Which I thought was nice. I thought he was doing it because it was my birthday yesterday, which today is my dad's birthday. So happy birthday, dad. But Zave didn't know that. He realized later that it was my birthday. He just wanted to support because he was reading the newsletter and said he always looks forward to reading it on Mondays and just wanted to support. And I, I really appreciated that. The fact that it happened on my birthday was extra nice. <laughs> He's a great dude. Listen to his episodes in the feed. They're episodes 117 and 235. And if you want to support the podcast and newsletter, go to thereitispod.com and click on the support tab. There are two ways to donate. A free way to support us is to subscribe to our YouTube, our newsletter, and wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, leave a review that helps people find us. Recently, a girlfriend of the show and I, Justina, were watching The Book of Boba Fett, and I saw previous guest Dave Pesquese on. He was great. He was so good. Oh, that guy. As Stephen Colbert said, I still just want to be like Dave Pesquese. <laughs> And here I am trying to be like Dave Pesquese and Stephen Colbert. They're both comedy heroes of mine, but I should be trying to be me instead of anyone else, even if they are brilliant. Why wouldn't I be trying to be me? Is it a lack of competence? Performers can easily slip into wanting to be like someone who inspired us because we doubt ourselves. But the best way to be a great performer is to find our own truth, and that takes believing in ourselves. It takes confidence. Today's episode is with confidence coach Patricia Skujak. She is wonderful, so charming. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to her, and she gave a lot of insight into what confidence really is and what it takes to have it. It was such an inspiring conversation, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. Here's my chat with Patricia Skujak. I want to show you what what's here. Do you recognize this? Oh, the Flatiron Building. Very cool. It's like an old picture of New York right. from like back yeah. in the 60s or something. Yeah, and that yeah. building's still, that cool looking building's still there. Yeah, it's still there. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, a little bit of a an element of New York. There you go, just behind I me. Have, I have no <laughs> element of London behind me. Uh, oh, Conan, a Snoopy, that's not London, it's Bob Ross, Prince, not, those things aren't London, I'm sorry. No, we can make it London if we like, you know, use our creativity, but no, nothing <laughs> typical of London behind you, no. 
so you're but you're from Poland but you how long have you been in London well it's been 14 years now in London wow. yeah so I got there quite some time ago just after my a levels equivalent in Poland and by the way Jason I went there just to just for one year that was my initial plan I'm gonna be there only one year there's no way I'm gonna stay longer in that crazy big city yeah. coming from a small town as well in Poland and believe me it was a struggle but um after a year of living uh, in London and like exploring the city getting to know the city I was like will I ever leave this place <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's going to be 14 years now so wow yeah, crazy. fantastic it's a, though it's great you know I have a love and hate affair with 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 that city I'm as I said I'm 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 a country girl I would say because I do come from a very small town my my father was his family was farming family so um I I do come from a very natural kind of like environment and connected to nature, slow pace, you know, and that's in my blood. So when I went to London, it felt like I'm literally entering a completely different space, like a different world. And oh, wow. it, yeah, and so it was, it was, it was quite challenging uh, at the beginning. It actually links with my story of, you know, becoming a confidence coach in general. Um, but it really was about sort of adjusting myself in the new environment. That was completely different for me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to hear how that, uh, how how it did start for you then becoming a confidence coach. So, what was the plan that first year? Were you thinking about going into that line of work? No, absolutely not. Absolutely. So, if I was to ever describe myself at that age, and I was about 17, I was just about to turn maybe 18. Um, I honestly was the the most lost teenage girl ever found on <laughs> on this earth you know I was so <laughs> lost I didn't know what I wanted I didn't know who I was and so and then I was through thrown into this huge city that was so different to what I've known in my life speaking different language I didn't speak English then so I had to learn English I had to immerse myself in new culture with new people and that's when my self-discovery started and that's when I kind of started breaking my limiting beliefs about who I was in terms of in especially in terms of capability you know mm -hmm. am I capable to be successful am I capable to learn am I capable to grow and slowly by being in a strange plan place I didn't have a choice but to be capable and that's how I started building that internal belief in self that back then I didn't know was going to serve me in my career in any way I just knew you know I was on a journey of growth and I was wow. certainly on a journey of of building confidence you know internal yeah. confidence wow so uh, that's all, what do they call that like a baptism by fire sort of situation where you're <laughs> You're just thrown in and you just have to figure it out. Absolutely. And honestly, often when I, uh, sometimes I use my story in my workshops or programs that I run just, you know, for people to, to relate. And that's very powerful uh, when people can relate to your story. And so, you know, I often compare two images, uh, a map of my town in Poland, which has like, I don't know how many streets, like, I don't know, maybe 20 streets <laughs> altogether. Yeah. And then, and then you've got a map of London uh, and, 
and I compare this to, and I remember my first year in London, I was so lost that I couldn't use underground because I was too confused by the, by the map of the underground. It was way too complex for me. Oh, wow. So, you, you know, just to compare like the level of my confidence then, you know, when I was actually struggling to read a map of a big city, mm-hmm. <laughs> not to mention move around and communicate, you know, and change. And yeah, that, that's, that's how I started in a way. Wow, goodness. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, we have the subway here and it's, it does take some time. It takes some time to get used to that. You miss a lot of stops or you just go flat out in the wrong direction and you have to switch. Oh, it's it's a, it it takes a lot. And you there is a lot of having to mentally not break down when that happens, because when you, you when you miss the train or you start going in the wrong direction, everyone does this. They'll start saying, oh, I'm so stupid or I'm an idiot. And yeah. you that doesn't help you get home. So you have to stop that and you have to focus on the task at hand. So I guess that was the skill that you were honing or one of the skills you were honing, just trying to figure out how to maneuver around London. Yeah, how to navigate. Absolutely. And you you nailed that voice. You kind of touched on it, which I often refer to in my work, uh, which is that inner critic or inner judge, you know, that actually tells you you're silly or you're stupid. You're going to get lost. You're going to be late. And so that voice back then, without even naming it then, uh, was basically telling me, you are not capable to navigate this big city. So for the first year, I was only using buses in London because I was Mm -hmm. literally scared to go down into the underground. And that Mm -hmm. voice was pretty loud, not only in that area of my life, like communication, commun- I'm sorry, moving and transporting myself across the uh, city, but in other areas too, you know, I picked up my university degree uh, two years after arriving in London. So it took me some time to first learn the language, but also to settle and to feel even um, comfortable enough to apply to universities, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting that even even to apply. So what were you doing those two years to build up the confidence to even just apply to university? Mm-hmm. So it's a great question because um, actually the first two years I was a nanny. I was living with English families. That's how I started. And I was a nanny that didn't really require me to speak English very well. I had to do very basic tasks, but Uh, the opportunity for me was incredible because I could be in an English family, hearing English every day, trying to communicate in English, you know, and picking up the basics from the start, which helped incredibly, you know, living with with Brits. Um, But again, the plan wasn't to stay there. The plan was to, to, to learn English for a year and then go back to Poland and then apply to universities there with English, you know, as my another sort of like asset um, an experience of living abroad. Um, but yeah, slowly in time, I honestly, it was like breaking one ice at a time. And it was, it was just out. It, it, I basically got myself in this, um, loop of confidence building that was technically, uh, based on two elements, challenge, overtake the challenge, build, build confidence and take on another challenge. Mm-hmm. And it got so addictive to me that you know it, it actually I enjoyed it 
I got to the point where I enjoyed setting myself a challenge. So I picked up another language, Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> um, I saw that in your, <laughs> when I, in researching you, I was going to ask, did you also learn Spanish? Okay. And I loved it. And yeah, and I actually then spent one year living in Madrid in Spain yeah. as well. So it enriched my whole experience also when I was a student, uh, you know, at the time of being a student. But definitely for me, the story was to um, throw myself into the waters. And by the way, I have to admit, it, it wasn't just my decision. It was actually my brother who pushed me to do that. Okay. He was he was already in London and he spoke English um, much better than me at the time. And and he basically invited me. He's like, hey, come over. I was his younger sister. He's like, come over, you know, I'm going to take care of you for the first year. And then you're going to come back to Poland. You don't need to be here. And so if, if not his push, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't come from the, you know, uh, ground zone uh, of, of lacking confidence and being this timid and afraid girl to suddenly be like, oh, I'm going to go to London and be great. Oh, wow. So if he had not done that, what do you think you would be doing now? Would you, would you be a dancer? I, I understand you oh. did some of that. Were you a dancer at one point? Yeah, well, I was, I was doing acting and I was dancing at school. So I probably would have gone uh that direction but you, you i just don't know i don't know what would have happened my idea was to go to krakow um i don't know if you know one of the biggest biggest cities in in poland krakow uh okay. and study linguistics i did like languages i actually oh, okay. um studied russian at school so i loved russian russian po um, poetry russian literature i was in love with that language and so i wanted to study that in krakow um the alternative was London and English, and that's what ended up being. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, very cool. There, there's a number of things that you do, uh, nice. and that you have uh, certification in. You're you're a Scrum Master. You're a certified Scrum Master, correct? And that's someone who helps teams mm -hmm. finish their projects. Is that the person yeah. who, who is that the role? Okay. It's a fun name, Scrum Master, and I. I had to look up what it was. Yeah, yeah. Specific, uh, actually, project management skill of a Scrum Master to facilitate project development, project growth, and project release or product release in the end. So, beautiful skills, ah. specifically used in tech, uh, tech startups, you know, and and generally, yeah, techy environments. Um, much more business uh, setup than personal. Um, mm -hmm. But you know what I love about my work and generally coaching or training is that there are so many different methodologies that speak to different people um and if they do speak to you and if they speak to me i go to explore them and i oh, combine okay. them in my work and you know i never i never um exclude or uh limit myself to specific tools or specific methodologies i like to combine things i like to provide diversity of approaches to my clients and that comes from uh, you know that kind of experience but it also is based on my curiosity which you know just kind of leads me to knock on different doors and see what's there <laughs> right right and that is sort of maybe a beautiful synergy of things that you had been training to do up to the point that you got your certification because you were also training to be a uh well of course confidence coach but also a leadership coach is that also something that you you have certification in 
Um, yes, so not specific certification. I would say things like confidence coaching, career coaching, leadership coaching are contexts within okay. which a coach or a trainer can operate in. Of course, you can get more specific and, and actually do specific, you know, leadership coaching or career coaching. Um, but in my case, um, my um, uh, qualification as a coach is based principally of, of, on two trainings, which is NLP. Um, I'm an NLP master practitioner, uh, neuro-linguistic programming practitioner and co-active coach. Um, and that's basically these two trainings provided me with the qualifications that I have now to, to do what I do. And the context of confidence really came from, from my story, from, uh, from the experience and the clients that I've had in the past that actually allowed me to, uh, to channel my coaching energy into, and it mm, became, okay. um, and, you know, as I said, I, I really, uh, look at it more as the context as opposed to um, a skill in particular, if that makes sense. Uh-huh, it does. The skill set comes from the actual experience of working uh, around cases of confidence building, confidence loss, you know, and confidence enhancement it's, and, and stuff like that. And I'm not going to lie, I do have a room covered with confidence building books. <laughs> so I'm personally <laughs> obsessed about the subject myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I imagine, pretty helpful in helping others that you are studying so much of it still and uh, learning more trade secrets, so to speak, of how to build confidence. Well, that's a really cool sort of beginning for that. What I'm understanding is that in building your own confidence and, and also with the line of work you were doing, you then start sort of helping others and using confidence to do that. And that then led you to wanting to help others have that kind of confidence. Mm, absolutely. So Jason, just to kind of like go back even to that story, my life pre-career coaching or confidence coaching or leadership coaching was a story of self-search. So mm -hmm. I did university in, in London, I then went abroad to Spain, I traveled, I then went to um, do some volunteering projects in Peru. So I was looking, I was still kind of like, I'm definitely building that confidence, I'm, I'm believing in myself, I'm at the point that I can do anything, but I just don't quite know what should that be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, what happened, I started asking myself very simple questions. What do I enjoy doing? What am I attracted to? What do people see in me? What do people recognize in me? And slowly I got myself into um, exploring the uh, field of personal development and growth and generally speaking and talking and working with people. Um, I, I, I came up with three sort of requirements for my career um, uh, development, which was uh, working with people, making an impact and being independent. I was mm -hmm. like, I need to take all these three boxes and then anything that will fall into that category of taking those three boxes will do as a career for me. And, you know, and that got me into NLP training. And then from NLP, I got into coaching, um, training with Coactive Institute. And then that got me into developing my practice, which opened in 2016 in London. That's when I started officially as, as, as a confidence and personal development coach. And, and that's when I started, you know, also kind of like 
nailing my niche and attracting clients, business clients, personal clients who come to me today specifically with an issue of confidence, with an issue or challenge of self-esteem. In other words, anything and everything to do with relationship you have with self. Oh, wow. Okay. And when people come to you for help, what are the most common or what are some of the most common issues that people are having with confidence? Is it simply believing in themselves or is it just having motivation? Mm, Great question. And the reason why this is a good question, because often, you know, you kind of touched on two different things. One thing is confidence, which is believe in self or trust in your abilities. And then we've got self-esteem, which is not separate from confidence, but it's slightly different. And it's, Mm. this is about your relationship you have with self around your feelings and thoughts you generate towards yourself. So it's about Mm -hmm. how you, uh, how you see yourself, how you feel towards yourself. So it's less tangible. Confidence is more about your behaviors. How do you act in the Mm -hmm. world? You know, do Mm -hmm. you act confidently? Do you speak confidently? Do you Um, face your fears, you know, consciously. Hmm. Would that category also involve trusting that you are skilled enough to do something? Yes, yes. But (laughs) self-esteem is more whether or not you actually like yourself or (laughs) like you you trust yourself that you can finish a job, but you say mean things to yourself in your head about how you do the job maybe or something or how you're not in a better position because you're so blah. Yeah, correct. You can have a huge belief in an ability of yours or a skill, and you may hate yourself at the same time. You're totally right. right. But on the other hand, you can be completely in love with yourself, you know, talking about humble Mm -hmm. self-esteem and 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 don't and not do the things that you want to do because you don't believe you can handle those things or you don't believe you'll be successful at that. But you're still kind to yourself in your everyday life. You know, so it, it goes, it can go hand in hand, but it can also be quite separate. So when you ask me what sort of clients come to me, what are the issues? It really depends. Sometimes it is about specific confidence issue. They want to be more engaged at work, for example, you know, in the business setup. They want to, they want to be more active. They want to show up more. They want to be out there. Um, and, and so that is more about capability and trust in self. Others basically come with issues like um, obesity, or uh, maybe they they seek healthy and um, fruitful relationships, but they can't attract the right partners simply because they don't believe they're worthy love or they're worthy um, healthy body. And that is much more deeper, I would say, issue and and definitely less tangible, uh, but probably in my line of work, the most powerful that makes, you know, the actual difference when you go deeper. Wow. And so does that make it harder to pinpoint what someone is dealing with? Because they may not even know how to express what they're going through. Yes, and and absolutely, it's it's def- this is definitely a longer process of building. First of all, awareness around what is going on internally, right? Forget about what's outside. The outside world is telling us what you're not happy with or what you want to change, but the source is probably somewhere deep there that we need to uncover. And so often that process is longer. 
because it takes that extra uh, self-awareness, self-discovery um, period of time, you know? Mm. Interesting. You mentioned something about having a humble self-esteem. And I'm wondering the difference between competence and cockiness, because that's something that I've heard people talk about of like, oh, well, if I acted more confident, then I would I would be arrogant. And they don't they, they're not wanting to be arrogant. But those are two very distinctly different things. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Jason, what a great topic this is, because a lot of people actually resist the only work on confidence or self-esteem because they are afraid they will turn arrogant, mm. big-headed. And they don't want that. They want to stay modest. They come from a modest background, modest family upbringing. They don't want to work on confidence, even though they, they realize this may help them. So really valid topic that I get to experience here all the time with my clients or with people who come to me. And I, I, I believe this is a, one of the biggest misconceptions about confidence that it that often is uh, linked or confused with arrogance. And yes, these two are very, very different. I would even argue they are opposite to one another. They wow. they land on two different spectrums, completely opposite spectrums. Yeah. And this probably the simplest difference, if I may. Uh, I'll try to simplify it as much as I can. The simplest difference is that real confidence, the humble confidence, as I call it, really comes from within. And it's based on that strong relationship we have with self. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need external factors. Right. Arrogance is, is the exact opposite. It comes from external ego-pleasing situations. Oh, so like if someone gets success and they have a nice house and a nice car and their careers going gangbusters, that's what makes someone arrogant. Absolutely. And or often, can make someone arrogant, I guess I should say. <laughs> Having a successful career doesn't mean you are definitely going to be arrogant. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. You're right. Um, there is there is a risk of, of, of becoming more arrogant, but I would even say there is a risk. I, I, I would I would I would even argue that actually um arrogance is almost a byproduct of big ego and we don't choose to have a big ego right or it's 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 not in our kind of like i don't know um plan of life you know for the next two years i'm going to work on building my ego um mm -hmm. it is or it's not some people are just you know like that so when we talk about the difference between confidence and arrogance i always need to talk about ego and there are two ways to build ego or for ego to sustain itself in our lives. One way is to um, uh, make ourselves feel better than others, right? And in order to do that, often that looks like making others feel worse. So really focusing on others and belittling them or making them feel insignificant in the room by putting ourselves out there and being louder and more evident in the room. Yeah, this is all subconsciously working on the ego uh, maintenance. Oh. The, other one, the other way to build ego is you know, if we don't do that, belittling others for, for us to feel better, we then aspire to, to get better in life. So we want to have loads of different certificates, loads of different achievements. We want to have that house. We want to have that car. We kind of like aspire for things in life that will make us feel 
amazing, successful, happy, better than others, right? So mm-hmm. that the ego can grow. Um, and that's why I call it the ego-pleasing situations or circumstances that really make mm-hmm. arrogant people not necessarily confident, but I would even argue it's it's closer to self-obsession. It becomes right. like obsession. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And it's it it's I guess where you get into those things like delusions of grandeur, you know, it's that's more about how this person sees himself in the world and they have a toxic way of being positive towards themselves, I guess mentally. Absolutely. And in fact, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of almost um, surprised that people don't, often people don't see that difference, you know, between arrogance and, and real humble confidence, because even energetically, we can sense those people in the room. And, mm-hmm. and naturally, we are not attracted to those people, because naturally, it's all about them. It's not about you. In the room whereas confident people are willing to listen to you are also able to recognize you for your strengths and abilities instead of just all eyes on me you know mm-hmm. approach so they, they, there's always for me at least a, a very evident difference you know when we look around and we see people who are truly confident and then are, are humble in their appearance in their posture even body language the way they express themselves and arrogant people who are uh, seeking to be praised and seeking to be seen and and mm. and will do anything to to be recognized in the room. Oh wow! Okay, I this is so edifying, and I could talk to you for hours, and um, I'll try not to because <laughs> I want to honor <laughs> your time. Sure. But there's so much I want to unpack about this idea because, as I'm an actor, I'm a comedian, and and I want to have success so I can take care of myself and a family. And so much of success in the entertainment industry is projected in these ways that look very arrogant, you know, like the way some people display their wealth and, uh, and their success. It's less about, hey, I did this work and I'm proud of it, which is maybe a more humble way of, of approaching it. And whereas others are showing all the watches or all the shoes or their car and their big house, you know, that sort of stuff seems to be what success is in the entertainment industry, because that's what we see all the time. But I don't want that uh, lifestyle. I don't want to engage that part of it, but it almost seems hard to push forward when I'm thinking, oh, but do I do I want to be a part of that lifestyle? Uh, there's there's got to be a way to be successful and humble and and have a normal level of confidence and self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I love what you're saying here, uh, Jason, and you are uh, basically touching again on a very important point, which is comparison mm. and how comparison with what we see you know you mentioned about what you see how potentially other people display their definition of success or happiness actually can impact our own understanding of Mm. our success our definition of happiness or success right um Mm -hmm. and so in in the work that i do generally in personal development and growth 
it always starts, you know, in order to have this unshakable confidence, it always starts with very clear and sound understanding of you and what mm-hmm. makes you, you, what makes you successful, what makes you happy, what makes you feel achieved or accomplished in life, you know? And so once you establish that and you're really clear on, on that, not only reducing comparison would help too, but when you do compare to uh, yourself to other definitions of success, you have that reference point that is sound and clear, and you can always go back to and refer to, and that's your perspective, you know, that you hold on to. But if it's not clear, if you keep questioning it, if you if you don't trust it yourself, then obviously it will be easier for other trends or people to influence your journey. Hmm. Gosh, that is mind-blowingly eye-opening. I'm so thankful for you sharing that. There's also some talk, you mentioned some things that made me think about self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something also that you, you work on with people. There are people who will say, oh, you can't really change. Self-acceptance, is that about helping a person accept where they are? Mm-hmm. and trying to change or is it saying you can't change except who you are as a person or is there a little bit of both oh wow what a great question another great question i'm really enjoying this podcast by the way jason oh, thank you <laughs> You really do ask fantastic questions so wow i would say self-acceptance is the source of self-love and empathy before you dive into self-growth and improvement. Oh, wow. Right. Self-acceptance is not about settling and and not moving and not changing and just being where you are, is allowing you to accept where you came from, where you are, who you are. And from that space of self-love and self-compassion, grow go and and dream big right but you can't dream big or expect yourself to achieve those big dreams if you don't accept yourself for who you are if you keep blaming yourself if you keep complaining on your history or your background or you know blaming your parents or whatever that is you know that is a space of negativity in general and it's not going to breed you motivation self-drive only from the space of self-love and that's what self-acceptance to me is is the birthplace i would even say to um to growth and development you know and achievement in life it's the birthplace wow you're saying knowing the self Mm -hmm. how much self-awareness does it take to be able to really know yourself like i I heard this great quote once i'm i'm sorry that i can't remember the name of the person who said it and so i don't know if they're problematic in the the world of self-help but they said something to the effect of, you are not the voice in your head, you are the one who hears it. Mm. And that helped me sort of rejigger my thinking because I thought it was like me versus me in my head, but instead it became, no, I'm the one who disagreed when that negative voice spoke up in my head. When it comes to self-acceptance and accepting who you are, knowing who you are, knowing how you operate in the world so that you can then grow. How difficult is it to find the self? How do you do that? Does it take all the self-awareness or what? 
Wow, self-awareness, I would say, is a never-ending story or it's always work in progress. But I would say the more you ask, Jason, the more you, the more you ask, the more curious you are, the more observant you are of your own thoughts, your feelings and your behaviors. These are the three elements that I always want my clients to focus on. Thoughts, feelings and behaviors. The more you observe those and you kind of like, analyze them you hear them you question them you sometimes even journal them when you have a moment the more answers you will have and that's why i say there's not an end to it because every day brings different experiences every time we meet someone new we learn someone something new about ourselves right so the it's more about the attitude you have in life and to what extent you allow yourself to know yourself you know and often I would argue uh, it ends up being um, like I call it mental fitness plan when you actually have a plan to do it you have a you have your own uh, tools or exercises that you entertain daily um, like journaling or like simply you know for example one of my key elements that i have been always working on in my life is dealing with confrontations or dealing with uncomfortable conversations when someone is shouting at me or someone is having some sort of problems that I can't deal with and have, they have really bad energy that I can't deal with. And I'm normally just very afraid of that energy. How do I deal with that? So often uh, the way I work on it today, these days is I, I, I imagine myself stepping right next to myself mm. to observe how I'm reacting to that con confrontational person or to that angry person. And that allows me to give myself, myself perspective and help myself in terms of self-management in that situation. Because I have okay. a, I see more, I sense more. I gave, my, I gave myself space to, um, to be more aware, you know, talking right. about- awareness. My grandfather used to say this quote that I love, it's one of my favorite quotes, it's, that we should work to have thoughtfully controlled emotions and not emotionally controlled thoughts. And that always made sense to me because we so often react emotionally and we don't give ourselves that separation to say, okay, here's how I'm feeling, but what do I think about that? What do I think about what's going on? So that takes some time, I imagine, to get to that place where you can separate yourself because our, I guess our lizard brain reacts before we even have a chance. The front of our brain is able to recognize that we're about to react that way. So uh, what, what, are, what can someone do to actually separate themselves? Absolutely, Jason. So one of the key things, and by the way, this, this, this is what I call self-management, like pure conscious self-management, because that self-management is about managing emotions, thoughts, and therefore our behaviors, right? And how those emotions and those thoughts impact our behaviors in life. One of the things we can do, literally starting from today, to practice the self-command muscle is uh, meditation and mindfulness, you know, mm. mindful leaving. Um, and meditation, even practicing meditation twice a day for two minutes, you are training your brain to listen to your command, mm -hmm. right? So you command your brain to listen to your breath or you command your brain to pay attention to your um, heartbeat, 
or you command your brain to pay attention to the feelings that you're experiencing in terms of temperature maybe, right, in the room or the sounds. And this is just a simple practice to train your brain to listen to your command. That is okay. very accessible, right? Because anything that is, um, anything to do with our senses, uh, you know, is accessible to us at any point of the day. And so I do those practices at least twice a day. I do longer meditations, guided meditations. I love guided meditations because they are probably for me, the most effective ways to then for my brain to stop and listen when I do have a command, you know, in a specific moment or situation in my life. Like I could be super nervous right now, but I command my brain to stay calm and stay composed and think about, for example, a waterfall or a tropical rain washing my body, you know? I command my brain in that moment and it's easier because I've developed a neuropathway that is now stronger through you know, and, and I build it stronger through meditation, through practicing meditation. So I okay. always recommend that for building that self-command muscle. Mm, but I can't also miss the fact that the more self-awareness we build around those voices that we've talked about before, Jason, and we don't need to complicate things. They're generally speaking, there are two voices, the empowering voice that knows your worth and loves you and believes in you it's there but it may not be activated and the self-sabotaging sabotage voice you know the self-critical voice the self-limiting voice call it as you like you know it's the voice that actually even has a place uh, physically and geographically in your brain is the left brain thinking is the survival mm -hmm. brain sometimes we call it and the more we know uh, those voices, what they say, when they, uh, you know, turn out, when we turn up their volumes, when do they speak, what triggers those voices, the easier it is for us to then uh, play with the volume. Okay. You know, who do I really want to want to speak right now? I hear my saboteur, saboteur, internal saboteur is really loud. Do I really want it to be that loud? Or can I turn down that volume a little bit? Oh, that is so good. One of the things that you mentioned there was that uh, meditation helps. And med I love meditation. I'm not diligent about doing it. And I think it's one of those things that I think a lot of people have experienced where they want to go to the gym, they want to meditate more, they want to practice a hobby more, but they just don't make the time for it or they just keep letting that item on the calendar or to-do list just pass on by. And I'll, I'll put alerts or reminders on my phone and I'll still just like ignore it. <laughs> what is it people can do to actually sit down and just do the two minutes a day? That's not, you know, a couple few minutes a day is all you're asking with meditation. It doesn't have to be this hour long. It doesn't have to be half an hour of your day. It could be two times for five minutes, you know, a day. So 10 minutes of your day, it's, it's nothing, you know, it's a fraction, but yet we still avoid doing these things and then beat ourselves up when we realize so much time has passed and we haven't done it. So is that a confidence or a self-esteem issue or is that something else entirely? <laughs> no, I would say it's definitely linked to confidence or self-esteem or generally, you know, what you believe you can do, how you mm. believe you 
you can motivate yourself to do things and how worthy you are to actually do this meditation. Maybe at the bottom, you don't think you're worthy the change, you know? So it definitely has a link one way or another. But I would say we're talking about habits building here, habits development. And, you know, in order to, first of all, you you said something really powerful there that when we don't do it, it actually has the opposite um, result because it impacts us negatively. We beat ourselves up for it, for not doing it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's really uh, um, wrong to set up, uh, you know, unrealistic expectations or standards for ourselves because it will turn back on us and it will have worse uh, impact on us. But I would say, we're naturally hardwired to do the things that we're familiar with. And we are also hardwired to run away from things that are unfamiliar. So first of all, you see, talking about acceptance, accept the fact that your brain will run away from habits that are unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Accept mm-hmm. it, it's normal. That's how the brain operates. It's not familiar, it, it's, it's not gonna do it. But in order to make it do it, you, you need to make it familiar for your brain, right? Mm-hmm. So. In, so that's why we reduce the, the extent of the habit from one hour of meditation a day, or I need to do it for the next four, four months or half a year, you know, reduce it. Maybe I'll just do it today. That's mm-hmm. going to be my aim. I'm just going to do it today. And by the way, it's just going to be a minute. So the brain goes, oh my God, it's not too scary. It's kind of like maybe doable. You know, you kind of want to tame your brain because otherwise it's going to panic. Mm-hmm. So you want to make it smaller, small enough to be achieved and big enough to matter. Those mm-hmm. are the, this is the you know, uh, success of building habits. Those steps yeah. need small enough to be achieved and big enough to matter. That's so nice to hear because just last week I was talking about how I want to get back in the swing of working out and, and it felt like such a daunting thing that I told myself, why don't you just commit to doing it a couple of days a week or three? So it doesn't feel like this big commitment. So it doesn't feel like this drastic change in my day to day. And instead, it's just I have Monday through Friday, I'll tell myself to just work out three times. And maybe on Friday, I've only worked out twice. Instead of beating myself up, I could say, hey, I did it twice. And that motivation may make me do the workout on Saturday. And just like, hey, I I didn't even tell myself I had to do it Saturday or Sunday. I was going to give those days off, but I feel good because I at least did it twice. I'll do it a third day. You know, like, is that the sort of thinking you're talking about? Absolutely. And you see what happens then. You actually build that motivation for future events. So then your brain actually will automatically naturally want you to do that thing because it knows it feels good after you do it. And you don't even know when and how the change happened and suddenly you have a new habit. But essentially you're coming from a loving and accepting um, perspective towards yourself, right? Not high expectations. I'm going to beat myself up if I'm not going to do it. I'm never doing it, um, et cetera. So you re- it's really the approach. It's really the attitude you set up for yourself. And in fact, sometimes when I build habits, Jason, similarly to you, sometimes I basically only say to myself, I'm going to simply celebrate myself when I do it. I'm not going to set it in the calendar. When I do it, I will do it. When I feel it, I will do it. But when I do it, I'm going to celebrate the fact that I did it. Oh, wow. Like my brain, my, you know, sage voice or the positive voice, voice, the empowering voice goes, go, Patty, you go and do it. It's going to be great. It's going to feel great. 
and it happens subconsciously i don't know about that voice but but now after studying how you know about neuroscience and knowing how how those neuropathway works that's how it works it automatically somehow consciously unconsciously motivates you oh that's so good to hear that's so helpful <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely possible <laughs> we just need to as i said i use the word trick because sometimes we need to trick our brain if we know how it works you know before it, it tricks us a little while ago you mentioned comparison and and the comparison game that we can play and i want to before we we end the episode i wanted to touch on this because i feel like it is one of the things that a lot of people as i mentioned earlier in the entertainment industry go through um and especially on social media uh, and and uh, with the way we're hearing these reports about how social media is set up to kind of push these things uh, that end up being negative for us. I was wondering what your advice would be to someone who is trying to navigate using social media because people in entertainment have to be on social media. They have to have an account and a presence on social media, but mm -hmm. how can they navigate using social media in a way that's positive for them and doesn't get them caught up in that comparison game? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so, you know, if I if I could just advise everyone to reduce it completely, that would be an mm -hmm. ideal world because comparison essentially is the number one confidence killer or self-esteem killer. It is. Um, but considering, you know, as you said, that often we have to be there, like myself too, if I could, I wouldn't want to have Instagram, but I know a lot of clients want me to show my work on Instagram, so I'm there for them. But it gets me to the point when I also compare myself, myself with others. So how do we navigate that? Um, again, we're going back to self-awareness. We, as you know, social media people or people with presence, people who you know will be exposed somehow on social media, we do. There is that risk for us to be um, to be compared. So knowing that that challenge is there it can come that voice can appear we have to prepare ourselves how do we manage that voice when it does appear so often the voice goes oh mm, this is such a great work i would never do it the same way or this person had um accelerated so fast I've, i i haven't done it and we started at the same time so what's wrong with me or they work is so much better like i feel my work is not good enough like you can hear these voices within your head best if you actually make note of what that voice says in the moment of comparison because again once you capture that voice once you capture that language of comparison and the impact it has on you you can then control it and you can catch it so often you know when that voice of mine and we all have it so it's it's not like you know some people don't have it some people do we all have it right it just happens it's in our head when it happens to me um, I immediately talk to that voice and I say, okay, but do you remember me 10 years ago? And, and do you see me now? And um, do you also remember that we all come from a different perspective in life and we all have different stories? And I have a conversation with the voice. And often the voice really shuts, sh shuts up in that moment. Oh. But I need to start that conversation. I, the worst thing we can do in that moment is to let it just talk and overtake you know right. because where will that take us uh it will take us to the space of not being good enough and that is the worst place for anyone we're this is the worst place for us to be and and it's so unfair 
for us to get ourselves into that space because comparing ourselves with others is just simply unfair. It's unfair. The only fairness in that is when we get inspired by other stories, where we inspire yeah. others, 100%. But mm-hmm. if it takes us to the place of not being good enough or not being worthy of something that maybe someone else has, it's just unfair because we all have different histories, stories, experiences. So true. And we also are going to have just a completely different experience moving forward. You know, I can get on Instagram and see The Rock and, you know, see him living a good life and being uh, so disciplined and so confident and everything. It, it could be easy for a person to see that and be inspired, which I do find some inspiration from him. But it could also be easy for someone to say like, ah, uh, he's doing so much better than I'll ever do or something like that. And the thing is, he's got a different path. And part of his path was tougher than mine, but it was also just different than mine. And that led him to be where he is in this moment. But who knows where I'm going to be in the next moment, in the next time period of my life. I could, who knows, who knows? I could like where I go better than where I, I see he's at, you know, like who knows? So you cannot play that comparison game because it, a person is where they are because of their past that you don't have. And that's not a bad thing. And that's, that's, you know, that's just the way it is. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that because you don't know where you're going. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's, it's, it's important also for all of us to realize that we can, when we talk about it like that in this environment, it makes sense, right? What we say, like, we agree to this. We, it makes sense to all of us. It's logical. It doesn't so much when we're in the moment. And the reason why is because we don't give ourselves that space to to be more realistic, to give ourselves the perspective on the moment. That's why that self-management in the moment is so important to ask yourself the right questions. What am, I, what am I asking myself now? What am I saying to myself now? Why am I comparing myself to, to The Rock or to whoever else, right? Like, what is my story? What's their story? How can I get inspired by him? How can I compare myself to myself 10 years ago? Like we need to ask ourselves the right questions or make the right statements in the moment of comparison, knowing that the comparison syndrome can kick in the, literally the moment we open Instagram, the moment we open Facebook or any other social media channel, the moment we can, we can already prep ourselves with those questions just before we open the channel. Yeah. Know that those voices can kick in in any second, any minute. Oh, so that's like a little preparation you can go into. Absolutely. It's sort of sturdy yourself. Mm-hmm. And best thing, uh, Jason, is to really talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. So when you have that thought of feeling bad because you're seeing someone else's success, say it out loud. I feel bad right now because I'm seeing someone else's success. What else do I feel? Well, I feel like I will never get there. What else do you feel? Okay, well, this voice, best if you can name the voice again, who's telling you that because it's not you, it's the voice that is telling you that. And best case, you can have a conversation, as I said, with the voice and basically open an argument, you know, like, is this really true? To what extent what you're saying is true and why should I feel this way? Mm, That's so good. I really appreciate hearing this, all of this. This is all so good. There's the... One other thing I wanted to ask about, um, 
since I know a lot of actors and comedians come on, I believe that there's a myth out there that mm -hmm. comedians are so much more morose than the average person and, and sadder and more depressed and actors are all just uh, egoists and, and all this kind of stuff. Have you found that that's really true? Is there a group that's just consistently more depressed than others? Uh, isn't the, don't people from all walks of life struggle with these things? Uh, I certainly, from my perspective, and I don't know as much about your field, you know, acting, being a comedian, being on the stage um, as like personal development, but within this sphere of personal development and growth, there really isn't much of a distinction in terms of the field you're in. Like we're, we, in, a, in a way, we all have some sort of mental issue, mental health issues, right? We all do. I mean, uh, depression or uh, severe anxiety is at the top level but generally speaking it really is not uh, uh, based on career or your field or your role in a society it does come from so many other different factors like your background or your you know even your your parents you maybe you have some traumatic tra traumatic experiences from the past there are other factors that I think are much more important and significant in terms of impacting your mental health than your actual work or the things that you do. Having said that, I would say that um, perhaps people confuse being funny with being happy or mm. knowing how to be funny with being a happy person. And I think it doesn't necessarily is the same thing. So, you know, um, and, and suddenly someone who is seeing someone funny on the stage discovers that maybe they do have some issues uh, with their confidence or with their mental health and they maybe they are even depressed. It makes them um, as people who are prone to it, you know, or have tendency to, to, to have that. Um, so I would I would not make such generic statements like you know comedians are more prone to be depressed or they they suffer from mental health issues. I wouldn't. I would probably question case by case, if anything, and I would look into their history, their background, they are bringing, and also what is their mental fitness plan. And I wouldn't I wouldn't you know be surprised if if yes, a lot of maybe actors or people on the stage actually use this stage as they mental health maybe tool uh, to you know maybe hide what they are struggling with and to counterbalance you know the uh, the, the you know the attention they get or the applause that they receive um, or the way they people perceive them on the stage with actually what is happening behind the scenes 100% that could be the case but then again you have the same uh, you could you could talk about the same thing with people business you know successful business people who are uh, you know, uh, at the top of their companies and they're super confident in front of the people, but actually at home, they are struggling with their personal relationships. Okay, yeah. So case by case, I would say, situation here on right. my Right, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I appreciate you addressing that because that is something that I think comedians can get bogged down with all the time and start believing, even though it's not necessarily true. Wow, wow. You see, another thing, to what extent we allow those comments or those external, like whatever people talk about us as group or collectives, and to what extent we filter that and allow it to come to us and impact what we believe is the case with us. So I, I will keep going back to the core, which is 
nurturing and growing relationship with self. And once that's stable and clear and solid, nothing will shake it, no matter what they will write about you in New York Times, you know? <laughs> nothing will shake that because you, you just know what you know, you know? Right. Well, I, I was reading recently about the different, I don't know if they use the word personalities, but they're, they were, and I, I don't know the technical terms here, but they were basically saying for a celebrity, they're like three different versions of self almost. And there's the one that they believe they are like the, what the mirror image represents. That's, that's one way that they see themselves. And then there's the way they think they are in their head. And then also, oh, no, 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 it wasn't the way that was the mirror image one is sort of the one they think they are in their head. And then there's what people who see them publicly assume they are. And then there's who they actually are when they operate in the world. Is that the right way to express those three different? Absolutely, yes. And it makes total sense, you see. And I guess maybe here is where celebrities or people who are much more exposed to general public and audiences, bigger audiences, have to have that kind of potentially split personalities, right? And it's right. all to do with different expectations in different... Like, when you're at home with yourself, you are not expected to to be the loud person, to be entertaining, to be funny. You're not, you're just being yourself, right? Right. And if you feel sad, you don't need to be happy, right? Or if you feel happy, you don't need to be sad, whatever you need to act uh, when there are expectations. But again, uh, I would say in order to manage those different personality splits, you have to be strong at the core. Mm -hmm. So when you are on this stage, you are consciously putting a hat on your head and you know, under this hat, this is who you are, mm -hmm. but that doesn't take anything away from the core of you, you know? Mm. And so you don't lose that authenticity. You don't lose that. Yeah. Literally who you are, who you truly are, because I can only imagine having three different ideas of who you may be can be confusing right. for the self. Right. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of actors have to deal with that. They're going on the Tonight Show. They have to, they're selling a product and they are yeah. part of that product. And so they have to try to come off a certain way. And then they're also sort of having to grapple with how people are perceiving them, which they can't control how people perceive them. They can try to Yes. Try to persuade how people per perceive yes. them, but they can't actually control how people receive them. And mm -hmm. then there's whatever self-esteem or confidence issues that they are also grappling with. That's a lot to deal with. Yes. And the more we are confused at the point, you know, at, at the level of identity, the, the more impacted our self-esteem will be, honestly, because if we don't know who we are, if we question who we are, if we mistrust ourselves in different situations because we don't know which hat we are wearing at what point, then your brain is like, I don't, I, how can I trust yourself? How can I, like, I don't know who you are. Like, you need to figure it out. You need to, you need to tell me, give me the signal, you know, and I will believe you. But if you're giving me so many different signals, then I, I don't know how to follow, how to make you strong. So that's why that core 
is even more important in those kind of right. you know uh, professional careers and situations like even more important to work on yourself to work on your inner truth inner growth that's powerful stuff that's a lot to consider and maybe a good reason why people should start thinking about these things so they can just have a a healthy perspective of themselves absolutely as i said earlier i could talk to you for hours and it feels like we did because when we started this conversation it looks like the sun was out there but now it looks like it's nighttime dark, yes started in the morning jason <laughs> yeah but let's create something together i was wondering what sort of first action steps someone could take in order to start preparing themselves for the journey that we've been discussing they they want to work on their self esteem or their confidence obviously they could go to you but what are some things that people can do every day separate from seeing a professional and again see a professional if you need but uh, what are some some good healthy steps that someone could take absolutely and i honestly think today there are so many free resources out there that can help anyone around self discovery and i believe it's always the first step jason no matter what you want to work on confidence self esteem career performance um building happy relationships in life you need to learn who you are so the more you know the merrier you know and so i often start my coaching uh processes with clients with simple self discovery tests you know and i can share with you some links by the way so you can share it with your audience as well some basic core online assessments that people can do just to kind of like you know start figuring out oh maybe this will tell you me something else about myself that i've never known before or maybe it will just confirm what i know or maybe it will make me question certain things that i took for granted before but if anything the very first step would be to invite people to 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 step on the journey of self search and self discovery even if they claim today that they know it all <laughs> we all think we know it all there are certainly things that they, you know people can still learn and discover um and i guess the other thing that we can literally start doing from from today from this point is to observe our thoughts and and start paying attention to our thoughts especially those who are that are not serving us thoughts that are not serving us thoughts that are impacting our feelings and are are bringing us down into dark places best thing we can do to observe our thoughts is to 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 journal them you know oh i just felt a little bit anxious in that moment what was the thought that made me feel anxious oh i just felt like tomorrow i may be late for this appointment because of this situation at home okay i'm just going to write it down i don't need to do anything about it i'm just going to write it down so i become more aware of that thought next time or i am actually seeing it now on a paper so it becomes more tangible and it's not just some weird stuff going on in my head making me feel anxious but i now know it's a thought and it's actually sitting on my paper so uh definitely something that you mentioned yourself you know becoming uh aware and ob- ob- becoming an observant of your thoughts uh is 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 hugely helpful and i don't have clients who are not doing that in who work with me and who are not doing that it's always part of our work you know for them to track 
and journal journal their thoughts. The other thing, <laughs> I mean, I have so many things, by the way. Um, but the <laughs> other thing that is, I think, super interesting and super helpful for everyone, you know, we have the tendency to um, to be hard on ourselves and to see our faults and to see you know, uh, areas of improvement. We are great at that, yeah? We are really good at spotting things that we don't necessarily like. Mm -hmm. We forget to appreciate ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we forget to do it consciously. So one of the things that, again, my all of my clients do is the so-called achievement tracker. They keep track of their achievements achievements by the way being uh, moments of feeling proud of themselves so it's not about big things you know i'm going to sign up for this master program and complete it in three months time you know no it's about simple things like like going to the gym like going to the swimming pool you know and and or ticking that box in the meditation not skipping lunch <laughs> yeah exactly right precisely so whatever you feel will make you recognize yourself or appreciate yourself for something, note that down. You then train your brain to seek those things. And so your brain will suddenly be like, wow, you're such a great person. Like there are so many cool things about you. How could you have missed that? Mm. Yeah, subconsciously that helps in building as well, self-appreciation, self-love, self-recognition. Um, etc. So achievement tracker. And also, you know, people compliment us in life. People send us nice messages. Sometimes I take screenshots on of everything that is kind that was ever sent towards myself. You know, I, I have a folder on my computer called acknowledgement folder. Oh, okay. And these are messages, emails, testimonials from my clients, since I remember I've been doing that, you know, and I have this folder and in the moment of self-doubt, literally sometimes I only think of the folder and it disappears, but if uh, it's strong enough, I go, I dive in and I read those incredible comments and, you know, compliments that I've received in the past. It's a, it's a, it's an automatic confidence booster, you know, mm, that's and good stuff. Or self-appreciation. So a few technical things that people can start doing immediately you know? Oh, gosh. There it is. My heart is so full after this conversation. Thank you so much, Patricia. Oh, thank you. And how lovely you remembered the pronunciation of my name right at the end. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> that goes to your achievement tracker, you see? Memory. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I absolutely loved it, Jason. So thank you for inviting me. Honestly, it was a pleasure. That was wonderful. Find out more about Patricia on her website, patriciaskujak.com. Follow her on Instagram at PS underscore underscore coaching and look her up on LinkedIn. We have links to those in the bio along with the confidence workbook she mentioned. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod and me on Twitter at J 
Jason Farr Jokes and Instagram at Jason Farr Picks. And go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info, links and bio. Quick note on next week's episode, we will have to make a game time decision on if we can post it because Justina got us tickets to go to Paisley Park and that's Saturday through Tuesday when we would be producing the episode. We will have a newsletter go out and we'll update you in that if we're having an episode. I can't wait. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 